Chapter Seven of the Surprising Adventures of Bamfield Moore Carew, King of the Beggars, by Bamfield Moore Carew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Before the day appointed for the election, a vast concourse of mendicants flocked from all parts of the kingdom to the city of London, for every member of the community has a right to vote in the choice of their king, as they think it inconsistent with that of natural liberty which every man is born heir to to deny any one the privilege of making his own choice in a matter of so great importance here reader as thou wilt be apt to judge from what thou hast seen thou already expectest a scene of riot and debauchery to see the candidate servilely cringing meanly suing and basely bribing the electors depriving themselves of sense and reason and selling more than esau did for a mess of pottage but what is birthright what is inheritance when put in the scale against the choicest blessing public liberty o liberty thou enlivener of life thou solace of toils thou patron of virtue thou encourager of industry thou spring of justice thou something more than life beyond the reach of fancy to describe all hail it is thou that beamest the sunshine in the patriot's breast it is thou that sweetenest the toil of the labouring mechanic thou dost inspire the ploughman with his jocund mirth and thou tunest the merry milkmaid's song thou canst make the desert smile and the barren rock to sing for joy by thy sacred protection the poorest peasant lies secure under the shadow of his defenceless cot whilst oppression at a distance gnashes with her teeth but dares not show her iron rod and power like the raging billows dashes its bounds with indignation but dares not overpass them but where art thou now how changed the scene how tasteless how irksome labour how languid industry where are the beauteous rose the gaudy tulip the sweet-scented jessamine where the purple grape the luscious peach the glowing nectarine wherefore smile not the valleys with their beauteous verdure nor sing for joy with their golden harvest all are withered by the scorching sun of lawless power where thou art not what place so sacred as to be secure or who can say this is my own this is the language only of the place where thou delightest to dwell but as soon as thou spreadest thy wings to some more pleasing clime power walks abroad with haughty strides and tramples upon the weak whilst oppression with its heavy hand bows down the unwilling neck to the yoke o oh, my country alas my country thou wast once the chosen seat of liberty her footsteps appeared in thy streets thy palaces thy public assemblies she exulted in thee her voice the voice of joy and gladness was heard throughout the land with more than a mother's love she held forth her sevenfold shield to protect thee the meanest of her sons whilst justice supported by law rode triumphant by her side with awful majesty and looked into fear and trembling every disturber of the public quiet o oh, thou whom my soul lovest wherefore dost thou sit dejected and hidest thy face all the day long canst thou ask the reason of my grief see see my generous hardy sons are become foolish indolent effeminate thoughtless behold how with their own hands they have loaded me with shackles 
alas hast thou not seen them take the rod from my beloved sister justice and give it to the sons of blood and rapine yet a little while i mourn over lost and degenerate sons and then with hasty flight fix my habitation in some more happy clime though the community of the gipsies at other times give themselves up to mirth and jollity with perhaps too much license yet nothing is reckoned more infamous and shameful amongst them than to appear intoxicated during the time of an election and it very rarely happens that any of them are so for they reckon it a choice of so much importance that they cannot exert in it too much judgment prudence and wisdom they therefore endeavour to have their faculties strong lively penetrating and clear at that time their method of election is different from that of most other people though perhaps it is the best contrived of any and attended with the fewest inconveniences we have already observed that none but those who have long been members of the community are well acquainted with the institution of it and have signalized themselves by some remarkable actions are permitted to offer themselves as candidates these are obliged ten days before the election to fix up in some place of their public resort an account of those actions upon the merit of which they found their pretensions of the coming candidates to which they must add their opinions on liberty and the office and duties of a king they must during these ten days appear every day at the place of election that their electors may have an opportunity of forming some judgment from the lineaments and prognostics of their countenance a few days before the election a little white ball and as many black ones as with the white one will equal the number of candidates are given to each elector when the day of the election is come as many boxes are placed as there are candidates with the name of the particular candidate written on the box which is appropriated to him these boxes are quite closed except a little opening at the top which is every night during the election locked up under the keys and seals of each candidate and of six of the most venerable old men in the community it is in the little opening at the top of these boxes that the elector puts in the little ball we have just now mentioned at the same time he puts his white ball into the box of the candidate whom he chooses to be his king he puts a black ball into the boxes of all the other candidates and when they have all done so the boxes are broken open and the balls counted in presence of all the candidates and of as many electors as choose it by the old men above mentioned and he who has the greatest number of white balls is always duly chosen by this means no presiding officer has it in his power to make one more than two which sometimes happens in the elections amongst other communities who do not use this form there are other innumerable advantages attending this method of election and it is likely to preserve public liberty the longest for first as the candidates are obliged to fix up publicly an account of those actions upon the merit of which they become candidates it deters any but those who are truly worthy from offering themselves and as the sentiments which each of them gives upon public liberty and the duty and office of a king is immediately entered in their public register it stands as a public witness against and a check upon that candidate who is chosen to deter him from a change of sentiments and principles 
for though in some countries this is known to have little effect and men have on a sudden without any alteration in the nature of things shamelessly espoused those principles and sentiments which they had vehemently all their lives before opposed yet in this community where there is so high a sense of honour and shame kept up it must necessarily be none of the least binding obligations secondly by this method of balloting or giving their votes by balls the elector's choice is more free and unbiased for as none but himself can know the candidate he gives his white ball to there can be no influence of fear interest ties of blood or any other cause to oblige him to give his vote contrary to his judgment even bribes if they were known amongst these people would lose their effect under this method of voting because few candidates would choose to bribe when they could have no security or knowledge whether the bribed elector might have put a black ball instead of a white one into his box our hero was now one of the candidates and exhibited to the electors so long a list of bold and ingenious stratagems which he had executed and made so graceful and majestic an appearance in his person that he had a considerable majority of white balls in his box though there were ten candidates for the same honour upon which he was declared duly elected and hailed by the whole assembly king of the mendicants the public register of their actions being immediately committed to his care and homage done him by all the assembly the whole concluded with great feasting and rejoicing and the electors sang the following ode cast your nabs and cares away this is maunders holiday in the world look out and see where so blessed a king as he at the crowning of our king thus we ever dance and sing where's the nation live so free and so merrily as we be it peace or be it war here at liberty we are hang all harmenbecks we cry we the cuffin queers defy we enjoy our ease and rest to the field we are not pressed and when taxes are increased we are not a penny cessed nor will any go to law with a maunder for a straw all which happiness he brags is only owing to his rags though mr carew was now privileged by the dignity of his office from going out on any cruise and was provided with everything necessary by joint contributions of the community yet he did not give himself up to the slow poison of the mind indolence which though its operations are imperceptible is more hurtful and fatal than any of the quicker passions for we often see great virtues break through the cloud of other vices but indolence is a standing corrupted pool which always remains in the same state unfit for every purpose our hero therefore notwithstanding the particular privilege of his office was as active in his stratagems as ever and ready to encounter any difficulties which seemed to promise success of which the following is an instance happening to be in the parish of fleet near portland race in dorsetshire he happened to hear in the evening of a ship in imminent danger of being cast away she having been driven on some shoals early in the morning before it was well light he pulled off his clothes which he flung into a deep pit and then unseen by any one swam to the vessel which now parted asunder he found only one of the crew alive who was hanging by his hands on the side of the vessel 
the rest being either washed overboard or drowned in attempting to swim to the shore never was there a more piteous object than this poor wretch hanging between life and death mr carew immediately offered him his assistance to get him to shore at the same time inquiring the name of the vessel and her master what cargo on board whence she came and whither bound the poor wretch replied she belonged to bristol captain griffin master came from hamburg was bound to bristol with a cargo of hamburg goods and had seven men and a boy on board at the same time our hero was pressing him to let go his hold and commit himself to his care and he would endeavour to swim with him to shore but when the danger is so imminent and death stands before our eyes it is no easy matter to be persuaded to quit the weakest stay thus the poor wretch hesitated so long before he would quit his hold of the vessel that a large sea broke upon the wreck and overwhelmed him in the great deep mr carew was in no little danger but being an excellent swimmer he with great difficulty got to shore though not without hurt the sea throwing him with great violence on the beach whereby one of his arms was wounded by this time a great number of spectators were gathered on the strand who rejoiced to see mr carew come ashore alive supposing him to be one of the poor wretches belonging to the ship naked spent with fatigue and wounded he raised a feeling of pity in all the spectators for so strongly is this tender passion connected with our frame by the beneficent author of nature to promote the assistance of each other that no sooner does the eye see a deplorable object than the heart feels it and as quickly forces the hand to relieve it so that those whom the love of money for we think that the greatest opposite to pity has rendered unfeeling of another's woes are said to have no hearts or hearts of stone as we naturally conclude no one can be void of that soft and godlike passion pity but either one who by some cause or other happens to be made up without a heart or one in whom continual droppings of self-love or avarice have quite changed the nature of it which by the most skilful anatomist is allowed in its natural state to be fleshy soft and tender but has been found without exception upon inspection into the bodies of several money-lovers to be nothing but a callous stony substance from which the chemists by most intense fires have been able to extract nothing but a caput mortuum or an earthy dry useless powder amongst the spectators of mr carew was the housekeeper of madame mahoon in the parish of fleet who had a heart made of the softest substance for she immediately agreeable to the beneficent precepts of the gospel pulled off her own cloak to give to him that had none and like the good samaritan giving him a handkerchief to bind up his wounds bid him follow her and led him to her mistress house where placing him before a good fire she gave him two large glasses of brandy with loaf sugar in it then bringing him a shirt and other apparel she went upstairs and acquainted madame mahoon her venerable mistress in the most feeling manner with the whole affair here could we hope our work would last to future ages we might immortalize this generous woman her mistress was so affected with her relation that she immediately ordered a warm bed to be prepared for the poor wretch 
and that he should be taken great care of, which was accordingly soon done, and Mr. Carew lay very quiet for three or four hours. Then waking he seemed to be very much disturbed in his mind, his talk was incoherent, his groans moving, and he tossed from one side of the bed to the other, but seemed to find ease in none. The good people seeing him so uneasy in bed brought him a good suit of clothes, and he got up. Being told the bodies of some of his shipmates were flung up by the sea on the shore, he seemed greatly affected, and the tears dropped from his eyes. Having received from Justice Farwell, who happened to be there, ill of the gout, a guinea and a pass for Bristol, and considerable contributions from the great number of people who flocked to see him, to the amount of nine or ten pounds, he expressed an inclination of making the best of his way to Bristol, and the good Justice Farwell lent him his own horse to ride as far as the town of Dorchester, and the parson of the parish sent his man to show him the way. Mr. Carew would have been gladly excused from going through Dorchester, as he had appeared there but four or five days before in the character of a broken miller, and had thereby raised a contribution of the mayor and corporation of that place. But as it lay in the direct road to Bristol, and he was attended by a guide, he could not possibly avoid it. As soon as they came there, his guide presented the pass in behalf of Mr. Carew to the mayor, who thereupon ordered the town bell to be rung and assembled the heads of the corporation. Though he had been so lately with them, yet being now in a quite different dress, and a pass which they knew to be signed by Justice Farwell, and the guide testifying that he was an unfortunate shipwrecked seaman escaped from the most imminent danger, they had no notion of his being the broken miller who had been with them a few days before. They therefore treated him with great humanity, and relieved him very generously. After this the guide took his leave of him with a great many good wishes for his safe arrival at Bristol, but Mr. Carew, instead of pursuing his way thither, steered his course towards Devonshire, and raised contributions by the way as a shipwrecked seaman, on Colonel Brown of Frampton, Squire Trenchard, and Squire Falford of Tola, Colonel Broadrip, Colonel Mitchell, and Squire Richards of Long Britty, and several other gentlemen. End of chapter 7